I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This is the word of the Lord. From 1923 to 1929, the President of the United States was Calvin Coolidge. He was an oddball, really. He rather tended to be curt when in discussion. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to, acceptable to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, and a stone that causes men to stumble, a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you were chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. You may declare the praises of him called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, thank you for these two great passages. We ask you, bless us now as we listen to you. 
when I was not much older than Leah, a very long time ago, about 50 years ago, one of the first stories that was read to me, as I recall, uh, involved a little, a little bird hatching out of its egg and falling out of the tree and losing its mother. So it wandered all around the farmyard asking every animal it met, the dog and the cat and the cow, are you my mother? Such a simple storyline, such a profound question. Who am I? Are you my mother? And each, um, each animal that the uh, little bird met, um, it tried to copy that animal to see if it, you know, see if it fitted, and found that it, not to our not very great surprise, wasn't very good at eating grass and barking and swimming on the pond. And then it found the mother bird and discovered, to its astonishment, but not ours, that it was really rather good, after all, at flying. This is the second in our series about the church. <clears throat> Last week we heard that uh, we find our two profoundest needs met in a, in a powerful, in the most powerful way in the church. In the church, we discover that we are unconditionally loved by God and that we have an eternal significance. This week, we're asking the chickens, uh, sorry, the little birds, profound question. Who are we? What are we supposed to do? If we don't know who we are, then we, don't, we can't discover, we can't recognize, we don't appreciate where we belong. And we don't know what we can do. If an organization can't get straight its primary purpose and what it's really good at, then it's probably not going to thrive. More tragically, if people don't get straight inside themselves who they are, then they're going to be very unhappy. They're not going to thrive. They're not going to be all that God had planned that they could be. I don't know if you read the, um, uh, the autobiography of Barack Obama. Um, in it, as a young man, he's struggling with his identity as the son of a um, black African uh, tribal um, politician and a white middle-class um, lecturer mother and as he goes through the book he, he learns he figures out how to bring these together to understand who he is which enables him then to become all that he was then going to has gone on to be in the world in our first reading Paul prays a powerful prayer for the Christians in Ephesus. He prays that they should know who they are and what their incredible inheritance is. The hope that's theirs, the glorious riches that are at their disposal, and the incomparably great power at work through them by God in whom they believe. And all of this is available to them. Why? 
because they are the church. They are the body of Christ. Well, what does that mean? If you take communion regularly, uh, you'll possibly connect the phrase, the body of Christ, with the communion bread that you receive. The body of Christ, the body of Christ, the body of Christ. And having taken it often enough, those words might become so routine that they start to lose any meaning. What does the body of Christ mean? When Jesus first took a loaf of bread and broke it and gave some bread to his disciples and said to them, you are my body, take and eat this in remembrance of me. To the disciples, those words didn't sound lovely, wonderful, amazing. They were really confusing. In fact, even slightly revolting. You want us to eat you? Why would that be? Remembering Jesus' words after his death and resurrection, as they continued to use those words, as they ate um, the bread, they started to understand that what they were doing was taking into themselves the sacrifice that Jesus had made for them and the power of the new resurrection life which he had offered to them. And Paul, one of those early disciples, as he reflected on those words, started to realize that there was something even more profound that was going on. After all, our body is intimately and inescapably connected to us. It's part of us. We can't get away from it. We can't get rid of our body. Actually, we love our body. We nourish it. We look after it. We wash it. We titivate it. We polish it up. We put lovely clothes around it. We spend a lot of money and time on it. We keep it safe. And when it isn't working properly, we hurt. And we want to get it fixed as quickly as we can. If, on the other hand, we can't accept our body, we don't love our body, we hate it even, then bad things start to happen to us deep inside. But if we can accept our bodies, be at ease with them, then good things can happen. Because in, in return, our bodies do amazing things for us. They enable us to do all sorts of things, incredible, powerful, significant things. Without our bodies, we can't work, we can't think, we can't compete, we can't make music, we can't make love, we can't create art and, and culture, we can't give life, we can't heal. But with our bodies, we can communicate to others. We can, we can share with them. We can care for them. We can speak to them of what's deep inside us, of love. It's through our bodies that we put our stamp, our mark, on the world and make a difference to it. And the incredible truth for us is this, that the church is Christ's body. Christ has chosen to need the church to express and do all that he wants to do in the world. Now God the Father has put everything in the hands of Christ, his son. 
This is our faith as Christians, into which Leah was baptized this morning. By raising Jesus from the dead, God isn't just saying, I wish he wasn't dead, I wish he was still alive with me. No, God is saying, Jesus is so great that he is greater even than death. He's saying, my son is seated at the right hand, at my right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given. This is the words of Paul in our passage today. God is saying not only in this present age, but also in the one to come, Jesus is Lord of all. All things are under his feet. And I have appointed him to be head over everything. And here's the thing. I've appointed him to be head over everything for the church. We were hearing about this last week. Amazing. Because the church is his body, Christ's body, the fullness of Christ who fills everything in every way. That's who we are. We are Christ's body. His presence on earth, through whom he does everything that he wants to do in the world. So what does that mean for us? Well, Paul comes up with two major implications. Firstly, our bodies show other people about ourselves. So other people judge us, other people react to us very much through our bodies, how they respond to our bodies. We know this, don't we? Because that's why we spend so many billion pounds a year on cosmetics. Well, not me personally, you understand, but us together as a nation. A poll conducted by Superdrug found that a quarter of those surveyed thought that their friends, families, and colleagues would be surprised at how ugly they would look without makeup. Seems sad to me, but it's something deep within the soul of many people. 70% apparently acknowledged that they look much prettier by wearing cosmetics. Women use makeup as a tool to boost their confidence and to make themselves feel fashionable and beautiful. Which is why my daughter tells me that the recent Twitter challenge, um, no makeup selfies for breast cancer, has been such a kind of, such an ordeal for the thousands and thousands of women who have taken part in it, not just those who are in the public spotlight. Our bodies say something about who we are and people respond to us according to the way they respond to them. Let me put it another way to you that might be a little clearer. Imagine, if you can, that I took no care of my body at all. So I didn't ever have a bath and I didn't wash my clothes. In fact, I never changed my clothes. I didn't buy any new ones. I just wore the same clothes. I never got my hair cut. I never, uh, I never shaved. I never cleaned my teeth. I never did anything at all for my body. After a while, you might start to notice, even if I didn't. I might start to stink and to look rather haggard. And you might start to respond to me in a different way the way that you currently do. I think you might start to turn your nose away and perhaps you would begin to avoid me. Well, says Paul, 
that's how it is for Christ's body, for us. If our characters are attractive, then people will see Christ's character in us and find that attractive. But if we are, frankly, horrible, if our character stinks, that's what people will think about Christ. And the other implication is this, that the body works best when it works together. If I try to do something one-handed, uh, for instance, lift this uh, lectern, it's really much harder, and it doesn't work very well at all. I can't do it, actually. Ah, there you go. Not very easy at all. In fact, it's just much easier to do it with two hands. It's much easier when the body works together, which is one reason why I'm so excited about the possibility of working more closely with St. Simon's, of becoming one body, one parish with them. Working together as one body, we can be much more effective for Christ. So, we are Christ's body, and that means he loves us and he cares for us. He wants the body to be healthy and well. And we have this huge privilege of being his hands on the earth. But it also means that we need to take that seriously and take responsibility for being his body. So, we need to start working better together and we need to live, unite, uh, live united and holy and attractive lives for him. Well, I've spent quite a lot of time on this first picture, the idea of us as Christ's body, but there are plenty of others in the New Testament and in the other passage that we heard in, in the last two verses alone, there were five or six different images for, for who we are as the church. The Apostle Peter says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who has called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I'm just going to touch on one of those images, the idea that we are a people chosen by God, belonging to him, the people of God. When God first chose a people to be his own, he, he gathered together a, a ragtag bunch of slaves in Egypt. Uh, he, um, he brought them together. Um, with miracles and uh, powerful um, acts, he brought them out of slavery, out of Egypt, to the place that he promised them, the place of, of his promise. And he forged them through the, the rescue and through the struggle in the wilderness, he forged them into a nation, into his people. And then Jesus did the whole thing again on a much bigger scale in spades and trumpets. He gathered together a small group of motley fishermen and tax collectors, and through them, he called people from all over the world, from, from uh, Israel and from Greece and from uh, Rome and from Africa and from the Middle East. And he gathered the, them together, and out of them, 
he created his people, his church. And that is who we are. Now, we may look around and not feel that we've got very much in common with each other. But that doesn't matter. Because Christ has called each one of us to be here together as his people. And we can go anywhere in the world, and we will find in that moment, the first moment that we go to church, that we belong. That there are people there who are already our family, who will welcome us and care for us and look after us. But what that means is that we need to look around and make sure that we welcome and care for and look after others, especially those whom we don't know. So, a couple of years ago, we spent some time thinking about another of the images that's in this passage, the idea that we are a nation the kingdom of God, part of his kingdom, the people of whom he is the king. And I talked then, you may remember, about a twin heartbeat, a twin pulse that goes through the whole Bible, two themes, two concepts that uh, help us to understand everything that we are and do, that, that help to answer the two questions of the little birds this morning. Who am I and what am I supposed to do? And these two themes, these two heartbeats, these two pulses are the covenant and the kingdom. The covenant is the relationship that we have with God, being like God, being one with Jesus. And the kingdom is what we do for God. It's God at work. It's doing what God does. Covenant and kingdom who we are and what we do, covenant and kingdom running through the Bible. Well, today we've been learning about covenant, who Christ is, and who we are as, as a result of his calling of us. In the next two or three weeks, we're going to be learning more about kingdom, what we should be doing as the church. But for now... We're just concentrating on covenant, on being one with Christ, who we are in Christ. If we will accept Christ's headship, his leadership, then we can be part of his body, his people, the church. And that's an incredible privilege, to be part of Christ, the fullness of him who fulfills everything in every way. But it's also a big responsibility. Now, Leah's parents are going to spend a lot of time over the next weeks and months and years teaching Leah how to keep herself clean. And we, as the people of God, have to spend a lot of time teaching ourselves how to keep ourselves clean as holy people, attractive people in our character and our behavior. They're then going to spend even longer teaching her how to be people who are lovely, in, to be a person sorry, Leah, who is lovely in the world. Somebody who will care for others. Somebody who will welcome and be attractive. 
And we have to do that too. We have to teach ourselves how to be lovely people who will welcome others and draw them into our family. We have to learn how to bring pleasure to Christ and glory to his name. How to work together closely and more effectively for him. And how to care for one another as his people, as his body, who belong together in him. So who am I? Ask the little bird. Who are we? We ask as the church. Answer, we are Christ's body. His people. Praise God. Shall we pray? Lord Jesus, you have chosen us as your people, your body in the world. Thank you for the extraordinary privilege of being part of your church. And thank you for those whom we welcome into your body, your people. And especially this morning, Leah and her family. Help us to look after each other and to work together and to become more and more clean and attractive and holy for you. 